0: blessed and excited I am just to be here with you today if I could take a moment and say uh, obviously uh, I'm an African American uh, this is my first time on the continent of Africa yeah and so yeah so now you know how I'm feeling now you know how I'm <laughs> feeling so all this time I've been preparing my my heart and my my time here I told my wife when I step off the plane I might kiss the ground but I looked at the ground. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I, I can't do it. I can't do it. But uh, but uh, I am truly, truly excited. I have done a lot of research of genealogy, of my family and my heritage of how where we came to America and how we came even to Texas where I live. Um, and just uh, last month, I had the opportunity to go to a state in America called Virginia. Uh, Richmond, Virginia where most of the slaves came to America and I had the opportunity to walk the trail where they would have gotten off the boat into the auction house. So last month I had the opportunity to do that and this month I have the opportunity to set my feet on the continent which which they did come from. And so my brother Jeremiah was nice enough to invite me to come along and he and I have done several mission trips together. We've gone to Cuba a few times and every time I go to Cuba I always joke with the guys there that, you know, hey, I'm Cuban. You know, I'm a Cuban like you. And it's a joke that we all have. But I'm grateful and happy today to say I don't have to joke and say I'm an African. (laughs) I know in my heart this is where I came from. And so the people have been so so nice to me. So I just wanted to share that with you and tell you how blessed I am to be here. Amen. 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 Well, I want to share a little bit about my experience as, as, as a Pastor Femi said, I pastor a church plant there in Houston, Texas, and uh, we pastor, I pastor in a very difficult neighborhood. Uh, I have a special passion for the African American community, um, for uh, blacks who are descendants of African slaves, and our population is unique in, there's a segment of our population who has done really well in the American dream. Uh, they have they've had education. They've achieved and gotten good jobs and live in great places. But then there's a segment of our population that is trapped in poverty and generational issues that plague us year after year. And so, you know, in the black community, 72% of all children are born to one-parent household. And in my neighborhood, that number is higher than that. Yes, it's higher than that. Uh, most of the people in my community are very low educated in a in a society where everybody's getting education and they are on the lower end of the earning income even though there are many jobs to be had and there are many reasons for that but that is why we felt like God called us to this community and to these people and I've had the opportunity to travel across America in different urban communities in Chicago in Atlanta, Jackson, Mississippi, and each time to serve in these places where God has, you know, you know, is called me to that place. And it was a difficult when he's talking about contextualization, it was difficult at first because I went to college, me and my wife, and our parents told us, listen, we're sending you to college so you can do better. But then I had to go and tell them once I got that college education, I'm going back to the ghetto. And they were not happy about that. And so, but I knew it's where God had called us, called me to be and where our work is. And so when we came to the particular community that I'm in now, uh, there was something interesting that happened, and I want to relay gospel character in this story, this analogy, if you will let me. I was a part of a nonprofit ministry before we launched our church. Um, in fact, our church was birthed out of this nonprofit. And one day, we were sitting around talking about the community that we were trying to reach, it was the same neighborhood I live in, and we thought, what are some good ideas and ways we can do that? And so somebody made the suggestion why don't we do a community garden? A garden in the community where we can grow food and everybody can come and work together, and that way they'll get to know each other. So they took a vote on this idea about a community garden. Everybody raised their hand in the meeting but me. I said, why do I don't want to who wants to do a community garden? No, I don't garden. I'm a man. I don't do gardens. But we didn't, but I lost the vote. And so we, they did, we did the community garden. Well, a few months later, they came to me and said, David, we want you to take over the community garden. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I'm like, come on now. So, but one of the things that began to happen to me as I began to work on the garden, and I studied about this, there were some real spiritual analogies that started to happen in my life. And I want to share those with you. Let me read this passage to you. Matthew 13, 23 just says this. And the one whom seed has sown on good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The Bible makes account and knowledge about good soil many times. Talks about what soil is. And I didn't truly understand that until I started working in a garden. So in our neighborhood, we have all these lots that are empty. No houses on them. They're just vacant. So we said, let's take these lots, and we're going to grow food on these lots. Well, when we began to work the soil, right away I began to learn that you can't just take seed and put it in a soil, and it's just going to automatically produce for you. Sometimes the soil has to be treated. And one of the first things the soil has to be done in soil is We had to till the soil, meaning we had to turn it over. And when we began to turn over this soil, guess what we found? Glass, beer bottles, old beer cans, metal, all kind of stuff that would stop us from bearing the kind of fruit that we want. And see, many times in the life of believers, pastors, leaders, Before God wants to do the work that he has set you out to do, he wants to do a work in you first. And so what that may require is the tilling of the soil. I mean, God wants to, and when we had to hit that soil, we had to take it, and you got to turn it all the way over. You got to get it, you got to go deep and turn it all the way over. And when you do that, it it looks rough, it looks bad. But it's got to be done in order to bear the kind of fruit we want to see happen. And oftentimes, too many of us don't allow God, before we jump out and say, I'm going to do this work for God. I'm going to make this happen. We don't take the time to allow God to till our soil and see what is underneath what you've shown, what's on top. What's deep in there? Are there beer bottles? Are there old glass bottles? Is there old wounds and pains from the past? Have you been scarred? Have you been injured? Have you have unconfessed sin? as there unconfessed hurt in your life that before we start this work, I need to, I need to till the soil a little bit. I need to work on you a little bit. And so tilling the soil was something we realized had to be done. And we had to remove all this negative stuff that would block the seed that we wanted to plant in the ground. And so we began to do that. But the other thing we realized was this. After removing all the particles, that things that didn't need to be there, Something had to be added. See, because most soil is either heavy on clay, may lack nitrogen, not enough carbon. So you've got to add the nutrients that you want in the soil so that the plant will be able to get what it needs to grow. See, just like it's the same thing with us. After that stuff has to be removed in our lives, gospel character, God says, now I want to put some stuff in your life. I want to take you to the gospel. I want to take you to my word, and I want to heal you in some areas. I want to put some things within you. And see, that's why it's so important. I truly believe to have mentors and people who are you're accountable to, who can speak into your life. Let me tell you right now to this day, my wife has the phone number to my spiritual father and mentor. So if I lose my mind. If I go, if for some reason I go crazy, you know, the church blows up, we got more money than we can handle, and I'm just going crazy, she can pick up the phone and say, uh, you need to come talk to your boy. He's going crazy. And you know what? If I see his number on my phone, stop, everything, yes, sir, because I have given him that lane in my life. And not only have I given it to him, I've made it known to her. Listen, I'm not going to be mad at you. I'm going to thank you. But if I see that, we need need that in our lives as ministers. Too many men are flying solo. Too many pastors, too many leaders, women flying solo with no one who can speak into their life. Because I'm telling you, any work God wants to do, he's going to remove some stuff, but he's got to add some stuff because we're not perfect I came flawed and wounded I came messed up and no, and those wounds unattended will hinder what God wants to do in my life I'll tell you and I'll give you an example in high school I, you know when I was in high school I went to a predominantly white high school and I went through a lot of racial issues tension I mean from the n-word to all kind of stuff and. That put something, it wounded me. And when I came to the Lord, he healed me of that. He did. But I'll tell you something that happened in my work. I told you we planted in a most predominantly African-American church, a community. So I'm, I'm planting a black church. You know, I'm reaching black people. I'm a black man. Let's go. Well, funny things started happening. White people started coming to my church. I didn't invite them. I didn't reach out to them. I did not have any contextualization to how to deal with them. <laughs> Nothing. I didn't, I didn't do make one effort to, to but all of a sudden, they, they started coming. And I began to say, wait a minute, God, this is not what i this is not what I set out to do. And so I began to think, well, maybe I did something wrong here. Or, or maybe we need to shut this thing down. And then God said, no, you won't shut anything down. In fact, you're going to sit down and you're going you're to watch what I'm doing. Because here's what I realized. There were still some issues in my heart. There were still some wounds in my heart. And when I became aware of that, it hurt me. Here I am, a pastor. A man who says he loves God. But there's a heart issue. And God said, and this is what God showed me. He's, David, before I can do what I want to do, I got to deal with you first. And I'm so glad he did. Because if you have that picture, why don't you show that picture for me? I've gotten going. I had a picture. So this is our church on a church retreat that we do once a year. That picture wouldn't be near as pretty as it is if it didn't have everybody in it. But see, my, 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 Hurts and wounds from the past could have stopped this from happening. And the light that is brought to our community would have been limited if God hadn't dealt with me first. What I'm saying is, as Pastor Femi was saying in the beginning, too many of us start a journey for what we want to do in God. And we don't inspect the soil. We don't allow God to work the soil. And so what he he intends to do can never come to full fruition because of who we are and the limitations that we have. So if you're going to do what God's called you to do, I challenge you, allow him to turn over your soil. Allow him to remove what no longer needs to be there and let him add. what he wants wants in your life. Because I promise you this, if you set out to do something, you may have something in mind of this is how it's going to look. God may have something totally different. And you want to be open and you want to be submitted to his will. But the only way we can do that is if we, and this is the other thing my mentor always told me, God doesn't need me, but I need him. The, The attitude I must have at all times is that God doesn't need me to do what He needs, what He wants to get done. And so many times in ministry, we can, we don't have that attitude because, hey, I'm making it happen. It's popping. The church is growing. Things are banging. I got it going on. This thing cannot make it without me. No, it can't make it without us. God doesn't need me. He, in his grace, he, is, he uses me. He allows me to be a part of it. But every day I wake up, I have, to, I have to recognize, God, this is your show. I just have a small role. It doesn't matter if there are 50 people in my church or 5,000. It's your show. I just, have a, I just have a role to play. And we've got to be submitted in that way. Let me read this to you. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. Psalms 128, verses 3 through 4. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, and it will be well with you. Your wife should be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around the table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Every man of God, every church planter, every pastor needs a well-watered garden. We talked about the soil that would make up your garden bed, your life. I want to talk about the plants that will go in that bed. And I think they're all represented here in this passage. And the reason I want to hit on this is because I feel like when we talk about gospel character, I truly believe it starts at home. Gospel character starts in the work of your home. And too many of us, in our excitement, in our zeal to do something for the Lord, allow our first ministry at home to go by the wayside. Because nobody knows you like the people who sleep next to you. Nobody knows you like the kids who see you come home and leave every day. They know all too well whether you have the gospel character you claim to have or whether it's a show for the outside and there's a totally different situation going on at home. You know, I always joke, my kids, so we have a rule in our house when it comes to movies. No rated R movies. That's me and mommy don't watch it, that's the standard we have. Not condemning anybody else, but that's just the standard we have. No rated R movies. Well, the first thing the kids always do, we have a movie collection in our room. Guess the first thing they always do? What you got in your movie collection? (laughs) They go all the way down. Okay, okay. Because if I tell them make it, they want to know what? First, what is the character like in your life? Daddy, are you keeping, are you preaching or walking out what you're preaching? But this passage, the reason I want to talk about this is this. It hits on the three areas that will make up the plants in your garden bed as a, as a as a pastor, as a leader. In verse 2, what you you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, and you will be happy, and it will be well with you talks about the church. Well, I tell you what, let me go to I'm going to go to verse 3 first. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Let me throw this out to you. And I tell the guys this all the time. Do not allow your ministry to make your wife a mistress. Or don't I'm sorry, don't let your ministry become a mistress to your wife. Too many guys feel like I can Ignore what's going on. I can ignore my wife and give all my attention to the work and think that's going to be pleasing to God and think that that represents gospel character. In my community, I told you, 72% children are born out of wedlock. You know what people want to, you know, before they want to hear a sermon from me, you know what they want to know first? What kind of man? You love your wife? I've had, I've had guys look at me and tell me, Pastor David, you are the only man I know that's, that's faithful to his wife. You're the only man I know that, that's married or faithful to his wife. Do you know that's greater than, to some people, that's greater than any sermon I could ever preach? That's better than any sermon I could ever preach. Just by simply being faithful to my wife. By simply saying, she is, a, this, is a, this family is, a, is of great importance to me. But too many times we ignore that because we can preach a great sermon. So how I live at home, how I treat my wife. But true character starts at home. And it starts by not making the church your mistress. Wife, you just got to get over it. You got to get with it. You got you to figure it out on your own. I've got to do this mission for God. No, I'm called to love her and bring her along with me and care for her in the process. Verse 3 also says your children are like olive plants around your table. If you're going to be, if you're going to exemplify a spiritual character at home, your children cannot be spiritual orphans because daddy is such a great preacher. Because daddy's ministry is so big, he didn't have time. To be a father. Tell our guys all the time, I don't care what your role in ministry is, your children are entitled to have a father. Because that is your first ministry. My character, because I can't fake with, I can't, you know, and it's hard, because I can't fake with my kids. They've seen me lose my cool at the basketball game, they've seen me argue with the referee at the basketball game, they've seen me get frustrated, and they've seen my failures. But they've also seen me say, Daddy need to ask you to forgive him. I need to apologize to you for the way I conducted myself. Because they are my first ministry. They are my first. If I can't establish go- godly character here at home, how am I going to establish it anywhere else? And I'm not trying to fool them. I want it to be real with them. And so, again, I don't want to raise spiritual orphans or orphans because I gave so much time to the work of God. And this is what my mentor always told me from the beginning. Every man, you have a responsibility to balance your household and the household of God. And I can't say I have to let my home suffer because the household of God needs me, and I can't let the household of God suffer because my family needs me. I've got to learn to hold them what? In balance. Because I'm responsible for them both. And verse 4 lastly says, Behold, for thus shall be blessed shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Listen, you want the work that God's called you to to be blessed? You want to see the vision that God's called you to to be blessed? Start by having an authentic Walk with him. Start by saying my first ministry is at home. I will love my wife. I will raise my children in a godly way. I will not be absent from them. Lord, I will fear you in all things. And I will always know my place before you. These principles in the the very intimate parts of our lives. My life will be accountable to someone other than just myself. And, Lord, this is, how I want it. this is how the foundation I want to set so that you may bless the work that you called me to. So every church planter may have a wife, may have children, may have the work that he's called to. All these things make up the plants that are in your garden bed that you must take care of and tend to and, and, and make sure that nothing is happening to them. My passage I want to read to you. John seven thirty eight says this. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. So once you address the soil, and once you ag- address the purpose and the place from which you are accountable to, you can't grow without water. You've got to have living water. Plants got to be watered regularly. And here's the thing I learned about gardening. Most people, when they put a plant in the ground and they water, they have, if they have four plants, they pour a little water here, they pour a little water here, and pour a little water on each plant. And that's really not the way you should do it. The way you should do it is you have a garden bed, and what you do, you soak the whole bed, the whole ground. You just don't pour a little water here and there. You wet the whole ground because when you saturate the ground, it allows the roots to go deep. Because if you only pour a little water around the plant, the roots know, I don't want to go deep. I have to stay close to the water. So I stay close to the soil. And thus, the, the plant becomes very shallow and doesn't produce an abundant harvest. But if you soak the ground and let the water go deep, deep, the roots know, hey, we can grow all the way down and we'll still get water. And when they grow deep, they produce a greater See, when we allow God to soak our lives, and listen to me, I don't just have a church life. No, God is in every area of my life. His living water is in my home, it's in my, it's in my, in my role as a pastor or a leader, it's in my low role as a neighbor. So I'm not in church preaching on Sunday and cursing out my neighbors during the week. I'm not in everywhere I go. He's, he's got to saturate every part of my life. How I love my family, he's got to be in that. How I handle my money, he's got to be in that. How I deal in business, on the job, he's got to be in that. I got to saturate my entire life with living water. So the roots were one deep, but here's the thing. When they do, and in particular, I always say this when it comes to the family and the work that you're doing for God. When you allow him to saturate your life, an abundant harvest can be produced. And see, the thing you learn quickly when you're gardening is, you don't want to just, when I'm growing my kale leaves or, or, or collard greens, I don't want to just pick it one time. I want to be able to come back to it again and again and what? Come on. I want to pick it for a long time. I get many harvests. And I know if the roots go deep, I get much harvest. Same way in our spiritual lives. If we allow God to go deep with us, if I allow him to heal me from the pain of my past, if I allow him to heal me from the wounds of my father, from the wounds of my mother, from the wounds that happened to me as a young man, or from the wounds of other church leaders who wanted to stop me from being what God called me to be, who said I wasn't good enough. And I harbor, and I got issues of anger with them or the denomination that I came out of that now I'm very critical of because of how they handled me. Whatever it may be, if I don't allow God's living water to wash me and go deep in my soil, how can he produce the harvest that he wants to have in me? I'm telling you, these things can be very difficult to have God inspect us and say, Son, I love you, but this has got to go. Son, I care for you deeply, but I've got to remove this out of your life. Because sometimes when God takes it out, God, you, you I felt that. I felt that. When I began to pastor my community, the church that I pastor, a lot of other church leaders around said, yeah. He got them white folks over at his church. He's not a real black man. Yeah, and they use words like Uncle Tom, sellout. You know, I don't know why he working with them white people, man. They ain't gonna. He 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 just he ain't real. Now, before I came to know the Lord, that's. You say that about me? <laughs> hey, we, we we got a we got a we got a we got a problem. Cause the worst thing you can say to a black man in America, you're not a real black man. No, 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 no. That that's fighting words. But you know what? God helped me to see. Is that and 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 Femi said it a little bit. He hinted on it some earlier. See, whatever you. Everybody's got a cross to bear to do this thing God's called us to do. And I'm thankful that God has healed me enough to where the pressure from my context didn't make me buckle down and say, well, you white people got to go. Because I can't have people saying that about me. I had to turn to the culture and said, you can call me what you want to call me. But I'm going to do what God said do. I'm going to love who God said love. You can say whatever you want to. But God had to heal me first. He had, to, he, he had to fix me first. And so I say that, that whatever God may challenge you on, and whatever he may, he may do in your life, or whatever area he may touch, allow him to do that. Because I promise you, it'll, have, it'll increase manyfold the work that he wants to do with you. I'm going to get ready to wrap up with this. You know, there's an American pastor in uh, the States called Crawford Loritz. And one of the things that he says all the time, or one of the things I've heard him say a quote is that far too often, talent is overrated and faithfulness is underrated. And the last thing I want to talk about with gospel character is faithfulness. And I have learned and I've seen this over and over again. The most talented and skilled people always (laughs) seem to rise to the front. But if you want to see where the most crash and burns happen, It's also in that area. What we are trying to do, if you're talented and skilled, beautiful. But nothing, nothing can replace faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul's talking about Timothy. He says, for this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and what? Faithful child. Proverbs 28, 20 says, a faithful man will abound in blessings. I want to leave you with this, whatever God's calling you to, whatever place he set you in, the last thing I learned about gardening is, it takes time, it takes time, you put, and and I had to learn this, you put that seed in the ground, I would come back for weeks, there's nothing coming out of the ground. I had to keep watering. Even though I couldn't see it, it was working, but it was deep in the ground. It took time. I had to come every day faithfully before the sun gets up, put that water on there. Come back the next day. Then finally, a little shoot come out the ground. I'm like, "All right, we got something. We got something." Before you know it, the plant comes. Then it grows and the harvest begins to come. But it might take months of faithfully tending to one plan. Many of you who are called in the places that God called you to, maybe you're going to be a church planner, maybe you're a leader, I don't know. But sometimes you may be in a place serving faithfully before you even see any fruit out of the ground. But nothing can replace the faithfulness of every day doing what God's called me to do. Faithfulness every day doing what God's called me to do and before you know it seeds begin to come out of the ground when we moved to the community that we were in before we started the church before I even started preaching to anybody I just wanted them to see me every day come home I wanted them to see me with my children every, all the time I wanted them to see me active in the community mentoring helping uh, the single women and single women in my community the elderly just serving just sowing seeds. But if you can remain faithful, not get weary, not quit, not just looking for something immediate overnight, but Lord, this is where you called me to, I want to faithfully serve in this place and allow your living water to wash over me and over the land you called me to. I don't care how talented you are or how untalented you may be, God God can bless the work of a faithful servant. And he will bless the faithful servant. And it may not be what you thought it was going to be. But it will be what he desires it to be. And so let me say this to you in closing. Every church planter needs a well-watered garden. It starts with the soil of your life. And asking God to break it up. God, show if there's any trash, any old garbage in my heart, in my life, Lord, fix it now. Reveal it to me now. Let it be made known. And let me get accountability in my life so that the soil will not be contaminated. So what you choose to plant, starting with my family, with the work you called me to, I want everything that's planted in the soil of my life, Lord, to be able to be fruitful. Not because of who I am, but because of the soil and the living water. And I want to saturate my life with the gospel. And I want to live it out. I don't want to just be one who preaches the gospel. I want to live it out. I want my neighbors to know I'm here for you. I want my children to know I'm your father before I'm your pastor. I want my wife to know I'm your husband before I'm your pastor. I I love you. And I want my community to know I'm here for them. And lastly, I want to be patient and I want to be faithful. Now, I don't want to give you the illusion that I'm perfect in these things and that I've got them all mastered. We are all on a journey becoming what God's called us to be. And even still, God reveals things in my heart that David, son, we've got to, get, we've got to deal with that. I'll leave you with this last story. Our church was birthed, I told you, out of the nonprofit, and the program I started in the nonprofit was creating a discipleship house for young men and women in our community. We had a lot of young people, 17 and 18 years old, that did not have a good home structure, and when they graduated from high school, they just were in the streets. So we started a discipleship house to house them, to help them find a job, help them go to school, and become productive citizens, but also... Uh, reaching them spiritually so I was excited about this program that I started and as I begin to work with these young people as I begin to work with you know and I'm, I'm in my 30s 40s I begin to work with these young people I'm continually frustrated with them sometimes even angry with them why are they not getting it I'm like God why are they not ch-? and then one day God sat me down and said David because the problem is I'm not trying to deal with them. I'm trying to deal with you. And I want to leave you with this. Sometimes you're going to find out the very first person God's trying to get to, you might think you're here to help somebody else. You might believe, and you probably are. You are. But God was like, but I want to start with you. And so as I'm looking at them saying, They needed to get it together. God said, no, I want to get you together first. I want to start by breaking you first. And so I want to encourage you, even as you go through some of this, don't be surprised when God turns the tables and says, the people group you came to fix, let's start. I'm going to fix you first. And then you will be of service to them. And if you will allow yourself to be used in this way, you can see God do some tremendous work. I'm not saying your ministry is going to become a mega ministry, but I am saying you'll experience God in a different way. And that is what a, that's where the blessing is. Amen. God bless you. Let me pray for us, if you will. Father, I thank you for every heart here this morning. And, Father, I just ask that you would break each and every one of us in areas where our hearts need to be. Father, would you turn over the soil of our lives? Father, that we would not find ourselves at a place down the road Well, because we did not deal with the issues and the character flaws in our lives, that, Father, we are long down the road and these things have come back to haunt us. Lord, deal with our hearts now. And, Father, let it begin at home. Let us start with an authentic gospel life at home. That when our wives or husbands look at at us, they will say, I see true character in you, gospel character. When our children look at us, they will say, I see true character. When our neighbors look at us, they will say, I see true gospel character in a man or woman I can follow. Father, would you please wash our hearts and our, our soil with your word? Would you help us become all that you desire us to be? Let us walk humility in humility before you. And let us never forget, this is your show. This is your program. It is your kingdom. And there's no room for another kingdom. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.